It is not that this kind of prayer is actually new to the Bible or to Jesus Christ, but rather that many, many professing Christians today have lost the science of prayer as it has been presented in the Bible and as it has been taught by our Lord Jesus Christ. In order for us to learn this beautiful science, we turn to the Bible, and we turn to the one who is our example, Jesus Christ. In Luke, the 11th chapter, the first verse beginning, we're told that the disciples of Jesus came and heard him praying. And it said, when he had ceased, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And then he taught them prayer. Everyone within the hearing of my voice and, and all over the world today is embedded in problems. There are personal problems, there are home problems, there are problems of society, there are national and international problems. Every one of you, dear friends, has a problem. Prayer was given us by the Lord as a means of solving every problem of life. I'd like to have you notice with me today four very specific phases of the Lord's Prayer in dealing with the problems that you and I face today. You may wish to pinpoint your most outstanding problem and then focus on these problems, the solutions, as we cover them in three specific phases as we deal with the Lord's Prayer. Number one, the Lord's Prayer is based from the first sentence to the last on Bible promises. The second phase is the Bible promises reveal who the Lord is. The third phase presents to us new covenant worship. And the fourth phase presents to us solution-centeredness in claiming Bible promises. The first phase, every sentence of the Lord's Prayer, every clause of the Lord's Prayer is based on one or several Bible promises. Let us just notice a few examples. The first two words of the Lord's Prayer are these, Our Father. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 14, we read the promise, I will be a, pro I will be a father to him. So the first words of the Lord's Prayer are based on one or several Bible promises. Our Father, which art in heaven. The words which art in heaven is also based. They're also based on another Bible promise. Psalm 11 verse 4 says, His throne is in the heavens. Then we come to the next part of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The words, hallowed be thy name, are also based on the promise of Leviticus chapter 19, verse 2. Be you holy, for I am holy. Then we come to the next. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. In Micah chapter 4, verse 8, and many, many other places in the Bible, we have a promise that God's kingdom will come and it will be given to his children. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. God promises in Proverbs 
chapter 21, verse 1, and in many other places of Scripture, that his will will be done both in heaven and on earth. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Psalm 136, verse 25 says, I will give bread to the hungry. So you see, sentence by sentence, clause by clause of the Lord's Prayer is based on one or several promises of the Bible. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Psalm 103, verse 3 is just one of many, many scriptures that goes something like this. The Lord, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases. And so we could go on all the way through the Lord's Prayer and find, as we said a moment ago, that every sentence and every clause of the Lord's Prayer is promise-based. The second phase of the Lord's Prayer is, these promises tell us about the one to whom we're praying. Who is this one before whom we kneel? Who is this one to whom we are begging these favors? Friends, every promise in the Bible tells us about God, for it is God in action. For instance, the promise is, I will be a father. You are our father. Who is he? He is our father. He is not a dictator. He's our Father. Who art in heaven? The promise we quoted in Psalm 11.4 tells us that God is in heaven. His throne is in the heavens. The context found in the 11th Psalm is that there are many wicked people in the world trying to overcome God. They're trying to cancel out His blessings and His people. But the whole context of the promise in Psalm 11 is God is in heaven. He's above all problems of earth. He controls all. All are in his hands. He will reward the wicked. He will reward the righteous. So every promise of the Lord's Prayer tells who God is. He is our Father. He is in heaven above all the problems of life. He is the solution. His kingdom is in heaven. His will will be done, no matter how men oppose it. He is the one who gives us our daily bread. So he is our provider. He is the one who forgives our sins. So he's our savior. He is the one who said, I will not lead you into temptation, but I will deliver you. So he is not leading us into snares. But when we get ourselves into trouble, he is our deliverer. And so as we go through step by step in the Lord's Prayer, as we call it, we have a picture of our wonderful Father in heaven. The third phase of the Lord's Prayer is the promises found in the Lord's Prayer are a sample of all the promises of the Bible which shows to us that prayer, true prayer, true worship, should be new covenant worship. What do we mean by new covenant worship? The Lord tells us in the book of Hebrews that the new covenant was based on better promises than man's promises. You'll notice in the Lord's prayers, Jesus gave it to the disciples. There is no such thing as the one who prays, the promisee, if you please, promising God what he will do. 
That's legalism. The Lord's Prayer tells us what the promisor will do, our Lord. He said, I am your Father. I will be your Father. I am heaven. I have all power. I have all glory. I can change kings. I can put kings down. I can set up kings. I will do this for you. I will deliver you. There's no statement in the entire Lord's Prayer of what the promisee, the prayer, can do. The Lord's Prayer is man's helplessness, man's creatureliness, reaching up and taking hold of the promises of God, taking hold of the very life of God. The fourth phase of the Lord's Prayer is its solution-centeredness. The Lord's Prayer presents to us solution-centeredness both psychologically and promissorially. By psychologically, we mean the mind captures a picture of solutions from first to last in the Lord's Prayer. Let us notice, it presents our Lord as a daddy, a father, a father who is eager to solve his children's problems. Not a dictator who is looking down his nose to see the mistakes we make. It presents a God who said, I am holy. That is the only basis of your holiness. Because I am holy, you can be holy. Though your life has been so corrupted, though it's been unworthy, though you've lived a very mixed up life and a very filthy life, you can live a better life because I am the source. That is new covenant praying. That is new covenant worship, what God has promised to do for us. And his life is in the promises, so it is what he does for us. And so we can go all through the Lord's Prayer and we find statement after statement from first to last, every one of them being solution-centered. There's no exception from first to last. He is my father, not my dictator. He is in heaven, he's not a weakling. He is holy, he's not corrupted or corruptible. His name is holy, and he said, now look, I will make you citizens of my kingdom. We say, Lord, what's that? That's a solution. You cannot build up your own kingdom. I have your solutions. I'm the king of all eternity. I will make you my princes and, and my princesses. Solution-centered praying from first to last. Someone says, uh, that is the psychology of the Lord's Prayer. That is right. But now I want you to notice, not merely the psychology of the Lord's Prayer, but to the Lord's Prayer from the promise standpoint. Every promise in the Bible, every promise that our Lord makes contains the solution that it promises. When Jesus was on earth, he is quoted in Luke 8.11 as saying that the word of God is seed. So every promise in the Bible, and there are 3,573 of these promises, or clusters of promises, every promise in the Bible, including all the promises on which the Lord's Prayer is built, all of these are seed. Jesus said his word is seed. Well, you say, what does that have to do with solution-centered praying? Let me, let me illustrate. I'm picking up an apple. Isn't that a beautiful apple? And I want to cut this apple open 
And here you will see in this apple is an apple seed. This apple seed contains life. So God's promises contain his life. The seed is the word of God. And now this apple seed not merely contains life, but what does it contain? It contains an apple tree. It contains three departments of an apple tree. It contains two apple tree leaves, an apple tree trunk, and apple tree roots. Rutherford Platt, who was a prize winner in science, stated that if you had a magnifying glass big enough, you could actually see in every normal apple seed an apple tree, two leaves, a trunk, and roots. Now, what is that saying about solution-centered praying? It is saying this. When Jesus based the Lord's Prayer on Bible promises, every promise that he claimed has the solution in the promise. For instance, when the Bible says in James 1, 5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, it tells us in 1 Corinthians 1, 30, Christ is made unto us wisdom. So Christ's very life is in his promise. So when you ask God for wisdom, Christ's life in the form of wisdom is in that promise. That is the solution for ignorance. That is the solution for frustration. The gift is in the promise. When God promises us forgiveness, that promise contains the life of Christ, and Christ is the forgiver. Therefore, forgiveness is in the very promise. And when I ask God to give me forgiveness, I can lay hold on Christ, who is the forgiver. So I ask him to fulfill his promise. I believe he's fulfilling the promise. And I thank him that I have received the fulfillment, because if I take the promise in a believing heart, the solution being in the promise, the solution is there. It may be like the apple seed. I cannot see the apple tree. Neither can I always see the solution that is there, hidden within the promise. But it is there. And like the apple seed will germinate. And little by little, it will begin to burst. And it will begin to sprout and to finally come forth from the soil. And I will see an apple tree. And in time, I will see the harvest of apples. So as I claim a Bible promise, I claim it by faith. Now we want to share with you the ABCs of claiming Bible promises. Jesus gave the ABCs. A is ask. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 7, ask and it shall be given you. So I have a right, a privilege, a blessed privilege to open God's immutable, eternal, impeccable word and find a promise and ask God to do what he's promised. Then Jesus gave us the B. The next step in ABC praying, he said in Mark 11, 24, believe that you receive. Believe that you receive. So I ask him to fulfill a promise because the gift is in the promise. The solution is in the promise. Then I tell him, I believe you are fulfilling this promise. Then I take the next step, which is so precious and so important. And it is found in, in John, the 11th chapter, 
and the 41st verse. Jesus was here standing at the grave of Lazarus. God had given him a promise in Isaiah that he could deliver the captives, the prisoners. The dead could come to life again. So Jesus, building his statement on that promise, as he stood before the grave of Lazarus, said, looking up to his father, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. That, that is the capstone to praying. That is the, that is the very crown of the science of prayer. I take a Bible promise, I ask God to do what he's promised. I believe it because he cannot lie. But since his promise is seed, and the seed contains the solution that it names, I say, Lord, I thank you. The gift is in the promise. And as surely as I receive that promise, in simple faith, I have the solution. It is true I accept the solution by simple faith now, because I cannot see it. And Jesus said, Father, I thank you, you have heard me. That is saying, thank you, I've received. He said, Lazarus, come forth. And that dead man came forth from the grave. Jesus, in his life and in his ministry, and in the prayer that's generally called the Lord's Prayer, gives to us, number one, the basis of finding solutions, claim Bible promises. Number two, these promises tell what God is like. What good will it do me to ask this tree to do something for me, or a dumb idol? Or what good will it do me to come to a God who is a dictator, who's not interested in me? But when I come to God as revealed in the Lord's Prayer as my father, my daddy, who is extremely eager to come to my rescue, then I say, oh, I see who God is like. He is my forgiver when I sin. That's what the Lord's Prayer says. He is my deliverer when I get into trouble. That's what God is like. And I can come to this kind of a God, a God that is so, so exceeding eager. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And the third is, by way of review, the Lord's Prayer presents to us a God who does the promising. Beloved friends of mine, don't fall on your knees and promise God what you're going to do. He has given 3,573 promises of what he will do. We come and we ask him to fulfill his promise of what he will do. We come believing him that he will fulfill what he has promised because he cannot lie. And then we reach out and say, thank you, Lord, I have received because the gift is in the promise. That's new covenant worship. Now, I'd like you to notice, notice with me for a few minutes what we mentioned about solution-centered praying. The Lord's Prayer, you remember, we mentioned a few moments ago, is completely solution-centered. Well, what, what do we mean by problem-centered praying? Why are we trying to persuade people to steer away from problem-centered praying. Let me share a few illustrations. Some time ago, there were 15 individuals who recognized they had deep problems. They believed that prayer was the real solution, but that they had merely neglected it through the years. So they agreed during a nine-month experiment to pray to the Lord from one to two hours every day, day in, day out, week after week, for the full nine months. 
at the end of the nine-month period, they were checked to see uh, what their answers to prayer were amounting to, uh, and amazing as it may seem, the progress that they had made in their lives in solving problems was absolutely zero. Why in the world would this happen? How could it take place? It was this. Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says that by beholding, we're changed in the same image. In other words, what we think about, what we mull over, what we concentrate on, we gradually become. By beholding, we're changed into the thing we behold. Proverbs 23, 7 says, by, As he thinketh in his heart, so is he. These people are praying something like this. Say, that one man had a temper. He said, Lord, I have a terrible temper. My father had a temper before me, and my grandfather had a temper before him. It seems to be part of our family. I, I, I was just born with this temper, Lord, and I've been mean to my wife, and I've been mean to, to my children, and now, Lord, I want to get rid of this temper. What's he talking about, temper? He's not talking about the opposite of temper, which God promises, perfect peace. He's talking about temper. And the result is, by mulling over temper and talking about temper, even in prayer, he's more tempestuous the next day than he was to begin with. And the next day, in addition to being mean to his wife and the children, he, gets, he kicks the dog. Now he said, Lord, I'm not getting better. What's happening to you? I've been telling you about my temper, and you've not been doing anything about it, dear Lord. And now here I kick the dog in addition to it, and my poor dog... Lord, what's going to happen to me? I'm, I'm just so mean. The next day he's worse than he was before. He slaps the cat and kicks the dog and curses his wife and is irritable with his children. At the end of the nine-month period, those people who had been praying from one to two hours every day found they had made absolutely no progress in solving problems. Jesus in the Lord's Prayer told us the way to pray is to claim God's promises. He not merely, he didn't tell them to do it, he did it. The promise contains the solution that is promised. Let me give you another illustration. When I was a little boy, I wanted to ride a bicycle. And so I said, I'm going to ride the bicycle. They just installed a telephone, and there was a telephone pole at my right, right next to the road. I got frightened for fear I was going to ride that bicycle in the telephone pole. I looked at the telephone pole. I glared at the telephone pole, and I said, I'm so afraid I'm going to write in the telephone pole. You know what I did? I went bang right in the telephone pole. By beholding, by fixing my gaze on it, I went exactly where I looked. I said, I never want to write in that telephone pole again. So I looked over on the opposite side of the road, and there was a tree, great big maple tree, five times as big as the telephone pole. Oh, I said, I wonder if I might possibly be writing in that into that tree. I don't want to do that either. And I looked at the tree. I, I glared at the tree. I fixed my gaze on the tree. I thought about the tree. And of all things, I drove right into the tree. I rode right into the thing that I didn't want to. Then my brother Lane came along. He said, Glenn, would you like to learn to ride a bicycle? I said, would I? He said, would you like me to tell you? I said, I surely would. He said, where would you like to go? I said, I'd like to go right down the road. He said, jump on the bicycle, look down the road. I said, thank you, Lane. Now, how do I ride? He said, I've just told you. Would you tell me again? Where did you say you'd like to go? Down the road, Lane. Jump on the bicycle and look down the road. Thank you, Lane. Now, but how do I do it? 
He said, I've told you twice. Where you look, you'll ride. I mounted the bicycle. I went down the road I have never since ridden into a problem telephone pole or a maple tree. This is God's way of telling us how to pray. Talk about solutions. Every promise in God's immutable, eternal, impeccable word contains the solution that's promised. We don't have to promise him what we'll do. We take hold of his life that's in his word, and he works in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. This is the way the Lord does it. When I was a little boy in school, there was a boy that stammered. There was another boy that mimicked him. He mimicked him until years later the mimicker was a lifetime confirmed stammerer. By beholding or talking even in prayer about anything, we become like the problem. The Lord's Prayer tells us to pray solution-centered prayers. That is God's will for his people. And now we told you about the apple seed. The apple seed contains an apple tree, an apple tree trunk, two leaves and roots. In order to harvest apples, we take that apple seed and plant it in the soil. In order to, to harvest good solutions, we take the seed which is the word of God, God's immutable promises, and put them into the human heart. And as we receive them in the believing heart, we shall harvest a tremendous reward. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.